Good morning, everybody. Good morning, family. Can we just start off by create? Yeah, you can drop the air cons, even that one a little bit. Can we create an environment to receive from the word? Is that okay? So if you can, if you've got your Bibles or your cell phone, just stand up. There we go. Cool. So this morning, I am not interested in preaching a good sermon to you. I'm interested in allowing the truth in this book to transform my life and your lives. For a long time, I worked hard at being a good preacher. I don't want to be a good preacher. I want to be an anointed servant that can minister the truth of this book in my own life, but also to the church. So that's what you should desire for yourself this morning as well, that the word is going to transform you. Because you can hear a good message and leave here with goosebumps and feel good about yourself. But when Tuesday comes <laughs> or Monday morning comes and you start, life starts to squeeze you, this is the only thing that actually remains that brings lasting change in your life. So if you can, just hold your Bible to your heart or your phone or whatever you're going to use to read. <sighs> Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that it's not just a book, it's not just words, but it's who you are. We thank you that it's alive, that it's living, and that it's active. And I ask this morning, Jesus, that you would come and speak to us through your word, that you would teach us, that you would equip us, that you would transform us, that your word would take root deep in our lives, that it would penetrate the deepest parts of our innermost being, Lord Jesus, and that it would produce long-lasting fruit of your nature and your life, Lord Jesus. Father, as a son, I just... I come before you and ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd equip me as a servant to minister the truth and the gospel this morning, Lord. And I just, I love you and I thank you for the oneness that we share, the oneness that every person here can share and live in with you. And I ask that you would move in this place, Lord, that you would speak, that you would set us free, that your truth would conquer us. We just love your presence. We love your word. We honor your word, Lord Jesus. Just take this moment to just open your hearts to receive. Lord, we are hungry for you this morning. If all we do is just get some of this word in us, Lord, we are so grateful. Come Holy Spirit and minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. You can take your seats. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am not in a rush. Because I'm not in a rush to communicate the word with you this morning. God's not in a rush. And so you shouldn't be in a rush to receive it. We're a family. We're not an institution. If you have to go, go. But I'm not going to rush through the word. We have reverence and awe for the word. Okay. All right. Um, I just felt someone needed to hear this. I had an encounter with the Lord last night. I had a really wild night with Jesus. Um, I was just spending time just kind of trying to position my heart for this morning, and Jesus came into my room, and he, the first way that he appeared was as a man, and he showed me his wounds, and he spoke to me, said, I'm the way, and we've been, as a home group, we've been talking about him being the way, the truth, and the life, and it's not just some cool scripture, but it's actually the way that we get to have life is because of those three things, and so he appeared in my room, and, and he showed me his wounds, and, and he was in the form of a man, he said, kind of, I'm the way. And I just began to weep, and I began to look at his wounds, and I realized that he's the doorway in. Like there, it, maybe you're here today, and you just feel like, I can't worship, or I'm just really struggling, and I just I don't know how to tap in or lean in. Or He's the way. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to achieve anything. You just need to see him, behold him, and accept that he's the way, and believe it. And then suddenly, he appeared to me in a different form, and it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. He, he transformed into this... Uh, uh, We'd call it a man of light. <laughs> he was just radiant and beautiful, and it was like fire, but it was like it was light, and his eyes were just blazing, and it was so majestic that I struggled to look at him, and he said, Connor, I am the truth, and I felt the fire and the heat and the light of Jesus begin to penetrate and permeate and, and just conquer me, and I was overcome, and I was on the ground, and I was just weeping, and he kept saying, look at me, look at me, and every time I looked up at him, it was just overwhelming, and then suddenly he said, 
I'm the life. And he picked me up and he pulled me into himself. And the next thing, all I could see was this light. I couldn't see anything else. And I could hear him so clearly, like he was speaking to me in my ear. It was just so intimate. And suddenly I, I came out of that with this real strong revelation that I can live there. That I can live in the light. That when we talk about bring your stuff into the light, it's not bring it out to expose yourself, it's bring it into Christ. <laughs> bring it into the light of Jesus because when you are conquered by his light, nothing else can stand in that place. And so I felt like there was someone here today that needed to hear that, that you don't have to figure your mess out. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to have the solutions and the answers. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one can get to the Father except through him. So what's the goal? To be with the Father in the light. Man, so some of you get that. If it's for you, take it, receive it. I had something else, um, just a prophetic word for 24-7 that I just want to share. Um, I felt the Lord say to me last night, 24-7, you and your land is a siloam or siloam. I don't know how you would say it. And I, I heard it and I was like, whoa, God's been... There's this, been this prophetic awakening that's been happening in me, and he's saying these things, and I'm learning to understand. And he used that word, and I knew it. I thought, where do I know that from? And so I quickly looked it up, and I realized John chapter 9, the pool of Siloam, okay, or Siloam. I don't know how you guys say it. I'm going to say Siloam, so don't judge me. But the pool of Siloam. And so I went and read it, and it means sent. That's what the word means, according to the Greek. But there are two other ways of saying the word, which is in the Hebrew, which is shiloach and shiloach. And those two words mean gushing forth or to burst forth. That's what it means, okay? And so I was saying, Lord, okay, what's, what are you saying here? 24-7 is going to be like this pool. What is, what is that? And so I went and began to study this pool. And um, in John chapter 7, 8, and 9, Jesus is preaching in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. And I began to go and just study the Feast of Tabernacles a little bit. So there might be some of you here that know way more about all this stuff than me. And that's awesome. I'd love to learn from you. But I just picked up a couple of little things that I thought were so beautiful. And that's that basically the Feast of Tabernacles was seven days. They say eight days as well because there was some activity on the last day. Um, but one of the things that was so incredible about this was this whole feast was basically a celebration of the fact that the Shekinah glory once possessed the temple. It once filled the temple. And they would celebrate that that happened. And Jesus, God himself, is now standing in the temple during a feast of tabernacles that is celebrating that he once filled the temple. He's in the temple, and they're not even recognizing him, but he begins to teach. And what I love is that he begins to use things as examples to explain what he's talking about. So I, I found this so interesting during this feast, there was one of the most incredible um, kind of like little ceremonies that they would do, and it was the water drawing ceremony. And what would happen is um, they would go, the priest would go and he would grab two golden pitchers, and all the Levite musicians, they would all get together, the people would follow them, and there would be this procession from the temple down to the pool of Siloam. They would go to the pool of Siloam, and the, the priest would fill one of the golden pitchers with fresh wine and the other one with water from the pool of Siloam. And they would begin to sing, and the one instrument that was specifically used for the ceremony was the flute. And they'd begin to play the flute. And, and the, the ancient rabbis that have written about these things, they actually said that you have, you have never seen rejoicing until you've seen the ceremony. The people would just explode in joy and passion, and they'd just be so excited as they followed the priest down. They would take the water and the, the wine, and then they would go back up to the temple. And it was one of the most beautiful, exciting things. And then they would get to the temple and the sound of a trumpet would be blown as the priest walked into the, the temple. And there would be two silver big kind of bowls. And he would pour the fresh wine into the one and he would pour the water from the pool of Siloam into the other. And this whole ceremony was about thankfulness and expectation for the promise, for the, for the promise of, of the Lord, essentially, and the provision of the Lord. So... This, this is all going on while Jesus is talking into this context. And so I started to look at this. I said, okay, what's up with the pool of Siloam? Why, why water from the pool of Siloam? And then I, I found out that actually Hezekiah was the one who built this thing. Hezekiah found, basically looked at the, the spring of, I think it's Gihon. That's how you say it. Forgive me if I'm 
not saying this right, but he found this spring of water and he built an aqueduct from this spring. And by the way, Gihon also means bursting forth. Well, I'll explain that now. So he built an aqueduct from Gihon all the way into the city and to this pool called Siloam. And so Gihon means bursting forth and Siloam means gushing forth or bursting forth, okay? And they would use this pool for baptism into Judaism. They believed that it was a symbol of healing. It was a symbol of newness of life. It was a symbol of basically living waters. And what was so profound about this pool is that the water was always moving. And they say that there was actually many other pools that this broke out into. The the water would begin to flow into these other pools. And um, so I was saying, Lord, so so what are you you saying here? So I went to, to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus is he's preaching in this context. This is all going on in the temple right now. And then he gets up, John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the last and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and called out in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38. He who believes in me, the Amplifier says, who adheres to, trusts in, and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow continually rivers of living water. But he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him as Savior were to receive afterward. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus, in the context of the the water from the pool of Siloam being used as as a type and as a picture of the living waters of God, is saying, those who believe in me and trust in me from your innermost being, living waters are going to flow out, okay? So he's using this beautiful picture from Siloam. Then another thing that's, that's really awesome is that in John chapter 8, there's another thing that they used to do, which was so incredible. Throughout, after the first day, the end of the first day of this Feast of Tabernacles, they would put out these four massive giant candles, essentially, <laughs> Um, they, there is a name for them, and I'm not going to try and say it because I tried all night and I can't pronounce it. So there's these really cool things. And they said that they were about 75 feet, so I think that's like 23 meters or so high. So there were these massive um, candles. But each of them had four branches, so four like arms coming out of the candle. And on, at the top of it was a bowl that was filled with oil. So on all four of these branches, so 16 bowls of oil, and they would light the oil, and the oil would begin to burn, and the temple was higher than the rest of the city, and the whole city, for those seven to eight days, would look at the temple and see the burning oil, and the reason for that was it was a, it was a symbol of the light of God, and so they would put it up there, and the city would look at it, and they would be saying, thank you, Lord, for the light of God, it's revelation light. Jesus is standing in the, the temple preaching while these things are burning, and guess what he says? Chapter 8, verse 12. Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So when you read these scriptures, just like picture this for a second, that he's talking about the living waters, using the example now that everyone can see that they've taken the symbol of living waters from the pool of Siloam, and they've used it in the temple, They've got these candles, massive things with fire and oil. And Jesus is standing saying, I am the light of the world. And then God spoke to me and he said, my light is when fire and oil come together. And then, the light of Jesus is the fire and the oil. Who's the fire and the oil? It's the Holy Spirit. Who's the living waters? It's the Holy Spirit. Who's the new wine? It's the Holy Spirit. And so I started to see in this whole thing that Jesus is pointing towards the Holy Spirit. And guess what Siloam also means? Sent. Who was sent? The Holy Spirit. And so guess what God said to me? He said, 24-7, you and your land will be like the pool of Siloam. You will be a demonstration of the flow of the living waters of the Holy Spirit that Jesus can use to glorify himself. And guess guess what he used those symbols to introduce himself to? His own people. We had a prophetic word recently. Someone said, 24-7, you will reintroduce Jesus to the church. And I felt the Lord say, I'm making you like the pool of Siloam. You will be a public demonstration 
of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus can glorify himself and reintroduce himself to his bride so that they would not understand Jesus simply by experiences and what they've been told by everybody else's theology, but they would encounter the living waters of the Holy Spirit, the fire and the oil of the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus would be glorified in the church once again. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. So I, the Lord spoke to me about that, and there's so much more that we'll unpack. And just to, to wrap it up, in John chapter 9, now Jesus, it says, as he was passing by, John chapter 9, verse 1, while he was passing by, he noticed a man who had been born blind. Think about this. Jesus has just given these two demonstrations of the, the water and the light, and he, it's in the context of all this stuff that's going on. Now he's just walking out, and as he's passing by, he sees a man who's blind. He's been blind since birth. And what, guess what he does? He spits onto the ground, and he makes mud. And he takes the mud, and he puts it on the guy's eyes, like ointment, like ointment on his eyes. And then he says to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Not just go and wash your eyes with some water, go to the pool of Siloam. Why? Because the pool of Siloam or Siloam actually represented the living waters of the Holy Spirit. So why did he put mud on his eyes? Guess what the Holy Spirit does? <laughs> the Holy Spirit, the living waters of the Holy Spirit removes the rubbish and the junk and the things of the world that's made us blind for so long. And it washes us and it gives us a new perspective and a new vision. And this morning, I feel like the Lord's saying, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Allow the living waters of the Holy Spirit to cleanse your perspective so that you can actually see why you're alive, why we gather together as a church. And I'm using this to lead into what I want to preach on today because it's a simple message, but I promise you it changes everything. We are not a group of people that get together for a meeting on a Sunday. We are not. God's called us to be an unstoppable church, just like Acts. And not just us, he's called the whole church to be that. And we get to play a small part in actually demonstrating and modeling this. And my dream is that the churches in Johannesburg and across the world would actually come together, put aside their differences, come together around the one purpose that is to exalt Jesus. Because I promise you, if we did that, we will finish the Great Commission in our lifetime. Do you know that the church globally has 3,000 times the finances and 9,000 times the manpower to finish the Great Commission right now? Imagine what we could do if we allowed the Holy Spirit to wash our perspectives. And so last night, I had one of the most profound encounters with Jesus that I've ever had. He came into my bedroom, and I was tired, and I was, I was really exhausted, and I was just asking for grace to do this today, and he came into my bedroom, and he spoke to me, and, and he, I realized that I was seeing him in the spirit, and it looked with my open eyes like he was standing right there, but I was seeing in the spirit, and he spoke to me about a couple things, and this is what I want to encourage you with today, so I want to speak about living in the spirit. Seeing in the spirit is different to seeing in the natural. It's not the same. We can see in the natural like I can see this chair. But seeing in the spirit is different. It is a different perspective, and you see differently. Sometimes you have open visions where what happens is the natural realm and the spirit actually become one, and you begin to see an open vision in front of you. But there's a lot of times where you can be looking at something in the natural and seeing something in the spirit at the exact same time. Do you understand that? Seeing in the spirit is very different. So living in the spirit is when what you see in the spirit is more real to you than what you see in the natural. Do you understand what I'm saying? Living in the Spirit is when what you see in the Spirit becomes more real to you than what you see in the natural. Let me give you an example. The Lord was teaching me last night about this because the last couple of weeks He's been speaking to me about holding to His Word when He speaks to me. And I realized that the Lord, He'll speak to me and He'll encourage me and He'll give me a word. And I take it and I go, wow, that's so beautiful. And I move on. What's next? What are you going to say next? And I don't take that word and treat it with reverence and awe and, and let it begin to change me and transform me. And so he spoke to me about being obedient to what he says and not moving on until he does. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Lord speaks to you, you write something down in your journal, and the very next day you wake up and you're looking for something new. Have you been obedient to what he spoke to you about yesterday? Have you unpacked the truth that he was trying to teach you? Have you allowed that to begin to transform your life so that you can walk in that? 
And so the last couple of weeks, I've been in this place where, you know, I'm getting married in two, two months, <laughs> two and a half months. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. And it's a lot of things that are pushing me to trust Jesus with everything, with my life, because I, it's no longer just me. I have responsibilities, and it's like, okay, God, I want to be obedient to what you've called me to do, and I'm, I'm stepping out, and I'm trying to trust you. And, and uh, sometimes in the natural, you can look at those situations and go, oh, my goodness, this is impossible. <laughs> There's, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to come together. This is just crazy. And the danger is when that becomes more real to you than anything else, that's when we get stuck. And that's when we start to live carnal lives. That's when we start to live in the flesh. That's when we start to get stressed and depressed and anxiety comes on us. And we start to freak out because we're looking at this natural realm and it's becoming the most real thing to us. And last night the Lord spoke to me and he said, Connor, what have I been showing you in the spirit? And I'd go back through my journal and, and in the last two weeks read everything that he said to me. And I'm going, oh my goodness, what a time to be alive. God's got this whole thing figured out. Everything that he's shown me, it's like, you're going to do it. It's going to be okay. You've got, <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> he's showing it to me. And he said to me, he said, why is it that that is so easy to forget? But this here, these temporary, momentary trials and troubles that are going to pass, why are those more real to you than what I'm saying to you? And there was a shift in me where faith was activated, and I, I feel like I'm able to actually believe truly believe and, and contend and begin to press forward with boldness and confidence because I'm, I'm choosing to allow what I see in the Spirit to become more real to me than the, the current condition in the natural. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's amazing because this is actually how we're called to live with Jesus. Our position with Him, we've been seated at the right hand of the Father. That position is supposed to change and transform our current condition on the earth. That's what it means to be sanctified every day. We've been sanctified with God, and we're being sanctified. It means that every day I wake up and I align myself with where I've been positioned with Jesus, and I allow that reality that I'm one with God, one with Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, just like the Bible says, read it, that that position is actually going to transform my condition. Why? Because what's more real to me than this temporary condition is actually where I'm seated. Do you understand what I'm saying? That I'm actually seated with Jesus. And so I'm, I'm, I live from a different realm. I live from a different perspective. So we must pay attention to what we see in the Holy Spirit. And we must heed His word. We must hold fast to the Holy Spirit. Let's go quickly to John chapter 17. Is everyone okay? This is a very different word for me, but that's cool. John chapter 17, verse 21. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe without any doubt that you sent me. So I want to set this up this morning. What does it look like? What does a person look like that understands the reality that they have been made one with God, that they have been reconciled to the Father. Do you know what, what reconciliation is? To be reconciled is to restore relationship between or to make one account consistent with another. So my account has been made consistent with the account of Jesus. When I messed it all up, he didn't, and mine has been made like his, and I have relationship with him. It's been restored. It also, the word reconciliation it has the same definition, but it also means making one view or belief the same as another. I used to believe one thing about myself. God has reconciled me. He's changed that belief, and he's made it one with what he believes about me. So my belief about myself has to be the same as what he believes about me. Does that make sense? Then there's this beautiful word, communion. If I say communion, most of you think the communion. We take communion, and we have the little grape juice and the bread and I promise you there's so much more in that, and I'm not going to get into that, but if you'd understand your oneness with the Lord, communion becomes seriously powerful. But you know what communion actually believes, uh, believes? What communion actually means is the sharing or exchanging of thoughts and feelings. That's what communion means, 
To have communion with the Lord means to share and exchange thoughts and feelings. So your emotions and your desires, you exchange your carnal worldly ones for His. He changes your emotions. He changes your desires. He transforms you in communion with Him. And He gives you His thoughts. How beautiful is that? And then the word oneness is to be unified and whole. It's to be unified and whole. And Jesus is praying that this would become our reality. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know these scriptures from verse 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the Amplified says, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior. He is a new creation, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. And behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that is restoration to favor with God. So we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We as Christ's representatives plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. One of the things that we need to understand from the beginning here is actually that this oneness and this reconciliation and this communion and union with the Lord that we share was a gift. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he was given to you. There is no reason for you not to have this oneness with the Lord. The only, st the only thing stopping you is, do you believe? Because if you believe that that's your right in Jesus, you can live in that. And I pray that that would become a reality to us this morning. Jump to um, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to throw out some scriptures and then I'm going to unpack it very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1. And you he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. You were following the ways of this world, influenced by this present age, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit who is now at work in the disobedience, in the disobedience, sorry. Among these unbelievers, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by the sinful self, indulging the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Stop there for a second. Here's what I want to kind of make clear from this point onwards as we begin to unpack. When we became born again and we now have oneness with the Lord, we're supposed to change and look different. There has to be a, a distinct change in our reason for living and the perspective in which we live our lives. Because we've been reborn and the Holy Spirit has come inside of us and he has cleansed our perspective from the things that once blinded us so that we can truly see not just the things that are temporary, but the things in the spirit that are eternal and that are going to be long lasting. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So my question to you is if I was to look at your life or if you were to look at my life, would we see a life that represents and demonstrates heaven and the culture of heaven and the nature of Jesus? Or do you look like someone that lives like an unbeliever but confesses and calls yourself a Christian and attends a meeting on a Sunday? Do we live in the Spirit? Do we see in the Spirit? Do we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us? Are our lives supernatural? Or are we actually mediocre, normal, everyday people that go to church on a Sunday? 
Because if we want to be the unstoppable church that God designed us to be, as we read in Acts, it requires a supernatural people. Because the way that God grows his church is actually under supernatural conditions. What I mean by that is the Acts church did not grow through a great marketing strategy. The Acts church did not grow because 15 of them went out and handed pamphlets and a free coffee at the robots. It didn't grow because they had a sick website and an awesome social media page. Do you want to know why the church grew? Because they were persecuted and the hand of the Lord was with them. The Lord added to their number every day under the conditions of persecution. I promise you, I had to ask myself the question, if I had to face some serious persecution right now, what would come out if I was squeezed in that way? If to get to church this morning, you knew that you were risking your life, would you be here? I've got a friend in Pakistan who has a church and every time that they get together, there is a high chance that there's someone sitting in their congregation with a vest on and could blow them up. And he's had multiple churches and friends around him where that happens. But you know what's incredible? The church is exploding. <laughs> in the Jesus way, yeah. It's exploding. Because it's under supernatural conditions. If we want to be that kind of church that actually grows the, the God way, it first requires being a supernatural people. You cannot live a supernatural life without supernatural decisions. Do you understand what I'm saying? You cannot live a supernatural life without making supernatural decisions. You cannot call yourself a supernatural being, in other words, everything God called you to be, if the decisions that you make are still made based on natural circumstances, situations, what, what's dictated to you through the world. If your life is shaped and molded by society and the world, you will never live a supernatural life and you'll never get to see God move the way he wants to move in your life. So guess what? What makes a man sell his land and his possessions and lay the, the money at his spiritual father or apostle's feet? What makes a man do that? Why have we stopped seeing that? Because most of us, what's going through our head is, hold on a second, if I sell my possessions and my land, I have nothing. I have nothing. What am I going to do? Where am I going to stay? Where am I going to live? What, what's going to happen? How am I going to? The whole thought process is carnal, natural, and fleshly. But a supernatural man goes in obedience to the Lord. This is what I'm going to do. And also what's so beautiful is that because you're living a supernatural life with a supernatural community, they shared everything together. Nothing that they owned was their own. It's in the Bible. So you see this unstoppable, wild, beautiful church that just, I mean, it, it was phenomenal. That People had never seen that kind of love. They'd never seen a community love each other that way, that I would sell everything I have and distribute it among the believers. And we live together in each other's homes and we share what we have and what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. And the moment that we hear that there's a church on the other side of the country that needs help, we're putting our finances together and we're sending believers, we're sending sons and apostles, we're sending them out there to go and equip them and love on them. It's a supernatural church that makes supernatural decisions that are based on what they see in the spirit and not their conditions in the natural. Ah. There's so much. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. What I want you to see this morning is that one who has been reconciled to God reacts differently to life situations and circumstances. Why would my financial situation scare me or shake me if I am one with God? Maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. God. 
the guy who created everything, I'm going to let a temporary, momentary, light affliction called lack of finances shake me in my belief with the one that I've been made one with who actually has authority over all things, do I really think that if I've been made one with him and I'm living in union with God that he's going to let me down? You know, a lot of the time when we think God let us down, it had nothing to do with God. It had to do with the fact that we allowed natural circumstances to dictate our response to him and led us into disobedience. And then we call the fruit of that disobedience God letting me down. For example, I, I don't have any food this month, so I take my credit card and I go into debt. And the money doesn't come in to bring me back square again. And I go, oh my word, God's let me down. I thought he would provide. What we've done is we've let the natural be more real to us than the spirit. What we're seeing in the natural is more real to us. Ah, I don't have any food, but I'll take my credit card and then trust that God's gonna actually fix this. And what I've done is I've let this lead me into disobedience. And then my, the fruit of my disobedience is suddenly God letting me down when actually what the Lord was saying is you've been made one with me. What does one who has been reconciled to God do in a situation of lack? Guess who he runs to? His father. He goes to his father and he says, Lord, not, not, listen to this. It's not, Lord, listen, I got some needs. You know that I, my needs need to be met. I'm expecting you to come through and do that for me. That's not what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Father, I have been made one with you. If you are all that I need, then you have already provided. I lay my life down. I surrender to you. You know what I need. God, would you lead me and guide me so that I can continue to do what you've called me to do? Do you see the difference in response? Because that response isn't actually about whether he's going to get me bread or not. That response is that you are the bread of heaven. And if I actually die of starvation because... God didn't come through, sweet, I'm going to be with the one that I'm one with. It doesn't shake me. I'm not living for these things. I don't know if that makes sense. See, persecution only comes against the supernatural life. Persecution only comes against the supernatural life. Please, 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 out of the honor and respect of our brothers and sisters that risk their lives every day for the gospel, do not call your current tough situation with your lack of finances persecution. See, because persecution is only there to stop the gospel from being preached and released through your life. Persecution is to stop the demonstration of the gospel not to give you a bad day. So if you're having a bad day, please don't put it under persecution and that God's actually, you know, oh Lord, it's just really hard, this, the cost of the gospel. You have no idea the cost of the gospel because persecution comes against the supernatural life. Let me tell you the cost of the gospel. God wakes me up, sell your house and give it to the church. Okay, Lord, sell my house, give it to the church. Now what? The difference there is now if I've got, if I'm in lack or I'm in whatever, my response isn't, oh no, God didn't come through for me or whatever. My response is actually, Lord, in my obedience, I know that you've got me covered and I should be in a community of people that actually live a supernatural lifestyle where I should have everything that I need. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a radical response. It's a supernatural life. And what's so beautiful is I've never heard a story of someone who did that and didn't get provided for. So persecution would be, God told me to sell my house, I've sold my house, and now, man, there's a lot of stuff coming against me, and it's all trying to actually stop me and make me question or doubt why I did that and why I was obedient to the Lord. I can understand that being persecution, but persecution isn't me being in lack. I am not persecuted because I was obedient to Jesus and just giving my, my house. I'm persecuted because he doesn't want me to think that I was being obedient. 
He wants me to think, oh, actually, you're an idiot. You shouldn't have sold your house. Is this making sense? I'm trying to give an example. So go to Galatians chapter 5 quickly um, from verse 16. Okay. But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit, seek Him and be responsive to His guidance, and then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature, which responds impulsively without regard for God and His precepts. That's what the Amplified says. For the sinful nature has its desire which is opposed to the spirit, and the desire of the spirit opposes the sinful nature. For these two, the the sinful nature and the spirit, are in direct opposition to each other, continually in conflict, so that as believers, uh, so that you as believers do not always do whatever good things you want to do. What I love about that scripture is that Paul's pretty much just telling us that he expects that we actually want to be obedient to the Lord. We actually want to do the good things that he's called us to do. We actually want to bless others. We want to live a supernatural life. But he's saying if we don't walk habitually by the Holy Spirit, if we don't make a habit of surrendering to the Holy Spirit and walking in relationship with him, then the sinful nature which opposes the Holy Spirit is actually leading us in disobedience to stop us from doing what we actually want to do in our hearts. I don't know about you, that's quite encouraging to me because it means that actually... By nature, as believers, we want to be a radical, supernatural, God-centered people, right? Is there anyone in the room who doesn't want to be that? That's what I thought. But if you are guided and led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Then it goes on and lists um, the kind of fruit of the, the nature of, um, of sin. And then verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the result of His presence within us, is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience. I love this. Not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. My encouragement to you today is that you need to take what you see in the Spirit far more seriously than what you're seeing in the natural. You need to position yourself as a supernatural being, as a supernatural person that makes supernatural decisions to live a supernatural lifestyle. We cannot allow ourselves to get stuck in the normal routines of life. We cannot make our decisions based on how life squeezes us and how society changes and the expectations of the world. We have to make decisions based on what the Lord is speaking to us in the Spirit so that we can see what He's actually building, which is eternal and not temporary. And if I begin to do that, I'm gonna build something that's long-lasting. And when I stand before Jesus, it's actually gonna count for something. It's not gonna be that I worked really hard to live a comfortable life. Make sure that my family and everyone had everything that they needed and it was all just comfort, luxury, self, 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 self. And I built a great self-empire. And I stand before Jesus and it means nothing because the big question that he's gonna ask you is, did you learn to love? And what does love look like? Well, Jesus modeled it perfectly. It, It looks like living in another dimension, another realm, laying your life down for others, being obedient to the Holy Spirit every day. It blows my mind that Jesus comes to the earth and chooses to live a life as a model of what we were gonna live in. He surrendered and submitted himself to the Holy Spirit, just like we are called to do and modeled that for us. He did it in a way that we could do too. And it blows my mind that everyone that followed after Jesus left something behind. What did you leave behind? Other than maybe just your sinful nature, but what did you leave behind when you began to follow Jesus? I hope those desires for earthly things and I hope all of that stuff was left behind. But sometimes God's actually calling us to make radical supernatural decisions that lead us into a supernatural life. Decisions that would freak the world out. Decisions that make no sense to man, but to the Lord, it's everything. A 
And so when you're spending time with Jesus, open your eyes to see what he's showing you. Ask him, Father, show me. In whatever capacity that is, whether it's a word or he illuminates a scripture to you or he, whatever it is that he does, let him begin to show you things and then hold those things with awe and reverence. Sit on those things. Feast on them. Let them begin to transform you. Make your decisions based on that. And I want to encourage you. We've got this weird idea that if I'm obedient to the Lord, I'm guaranteed to get back 10 times more because I know the scriptures and I've read the promises. What if God called you to give and you never got it back, but you were obedient? What matters more to you? Because God knows that in your heart. Why do we give? Why do we go and pray for someone? Or what, what is the motives behind why we actually live the life that God's called us to live? It has to be obedience, and that's the only time that you will see the power of God. And I believe that 24-7 church is in a transition time. The transition time that we're in is God's actually beginning to reveal what we were always born to be. A church that's not boxed by four walls or a building. A church that is mobile. A church that you could reproduce anywhere in the earth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not only going to fill our gatherings and our meetings and our times together. He's going to fill our homes with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you that if you actually are living a supernatural Holy Spirit-centered lifestyle, you have to be together with the believers. It's not an option. It's the family of God. We get together as believers and the Holy Spirit fills the room. I was chatting to Damien and Matt about it and I was saying, imagine the first point of contact that an unbeliever has with the church is a home filled with amazing people that love each other incredibly and the fire of the Holy Spirit fills that home. Where's Michaela? Michaela, can I just, I just wanna share a cool testimony. Damien and Matt, the girls were having a girls' night. Michaela went to this girls' night. Damien and Matt were spending some time together, and they drive over to the house to go and fetch their, their wives. Well, it was actually Matt's house, so he was just going home. But they go there, and, and they get wrecked by the Holy Spirit in the car. Both of them are shaking and travailing, and the car is just filled with the glory of God. It's pretty normal for them, but it's awesome and exciting. And, they, and they're just like wrecked by Jesus, and they, the fire of God's in the car. And they get out, and they go inside. And as Damien walks inside, he sees Michaela, and he is overcome with the love of God for her. How simple is that? The Holy Spirit, he is overcome with the love of God. And he walks up to her, and he says, I need to tell you that Jesus loves you so much. I'm just, I think that's how you said it. But I need to tell you that Jesus loves you so much. And she's kind of like, thank you. And he says, no, God really, really loves you. I think, I hope I got this right, but that really touched her heart. So much so that she was at church and at a home group and she's here again and she's, been, she's encountered the love of Jesus through one little act of obedience that was from a, a motivation of oneness with the Lord. It's a risk to go and tell somebody that. And that's just a small thing. Now let's be a people that, are, that go way beyond the small things. Let's be, let's be a people, I mean, I, I heard the story of Lou Engel who sold his house to, to book the stadium for an event that they did to gather believers. I mean, that's just, that makes me excited because that's just supernatural. Nobody sells their house for a one-day event. We do. Why? And guess what? Lou Engel has a house because God took care of him because he was obedient. <laughs> So I just want to encourage you guys today that the Lord wants you to live in the spirit. That's what you were created for. You were created for oneness with the Lord. You were created to live from a different realm, from a different dimension. Don't let these natural carnal things, these temporary momentary light afflictions, don't let them dictate and decide who you are. Don't let those things actually shape your decisions and shape the way that you live your life. And then what happens is when we live like that, we, we have to be a part of a meeting mentality kind of church because we need our fix to get through the next week. I feel good about myself. I need some encouragement. I'm feeling really flat. It's been a hard week. I'm tired. Man, you know, business has been tough. Things have been, this is how we live our lives. And so we live Monday to Friday, Friday. Whew, thank, I get to rest. Now I come to church. I need, I just need some encouragement. I need some uplifting so I can keep going. That's not the church. That's a wound licking club. 
That's where we get together, lick each other's wounds and try and patch it up and make you feel a bit better so you get through another week. We're the church, the church, the 24-7 church, 365, every moment of every day, wherever we get together, heaven invades earth. Why? Because I'm a supernatural being who lives by a supernatural standard with a supernatural perspective. So you can't take my joy and you can't shake me and depression has no place and anxiety has no place. It's the answer. It's the cure. Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I promise you, if you would allow yourself to dream just for a second, can you imagine if every single person in this room allowed the Holy Spirit to make this real in their heart? And every decision that we make from the moment we leave this building is based on Holy Spirit and not on my natural situation and and what I'm going through or how I'm feeling. Can you imagine the kind of powerful church we'd begin to see invade Johannesburg? When you walk into wherever you work or your university or your school or whatever it is that you do or your family members and suddenly the lens and the perspective that you view through is different. And you walk into rooms and you're just overcome by the love of God for people. You're obedient and you begin to step out and risk. And then, because you're living a supernatural life and the persecution comes, we see the church explode. Because it was never about me. It's always been about him. And I'm not going to get caught up in what I think is persecution. I haven't got stoned yet. I haven't got beaten yet. I haven't got whipped yet. I've had people tell me to blankety blank off and to leave them alone. And I've heard people say this, this word that everyone's so afraid of. No. That's the big thing that stops us from going and praying for people. How can I pray for you? No. Cool. Bless you. Have a great day. Nothing has changed in me. I still love you. Jesus still loves you. I carry on. That's not persecution. (laughs) That's not persecution. If he threw a stone at me, now we can start asking some questions. So I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in this place where I'm like, I cannot live a normal life anymore because the, the light and the fire and the oil and the water of Holy Spirit came to my bedroom last night. <laughs> you know what's amazing? He was there when I got saved. I just didn't see him. What are you seeing? Because you can go, oh, well, he hasn't come to my bedroom. Yes, he did. That's why you're sitting in this room. You wouldn't have come here. Maybe you didn't see it with your physical eyes, but in the spirit, he was there because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And none of you, not a single person in this room has any excuse not to live the life that God's called you to live. He's asking for your yes. He's asking for your surrender, and he is definitely asking for your time. See, I'm I'm learning. I don't even have my phone with me. Take your phone and throw it. (laughs) Not, you know, metaphorically. Because I promise you now, think about this. If time is the key to unlock the realities of intimacy with the Lord, what's the one thing that the devil's going to attack the most? Your time. I have a very sneaky suspicion that cell phones were made actually by the enemy to take our time from us. Because I, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be honest. If I've got free time and I'm really tired, I just feel like chilling, I'm scrolling through Instagram. <laughs> and then I call that rest. When I'm one with God. And inside of every single one of you is a desire to communicate with someone that you cannot see. Because you were born to live by faith. You were born to have relationship with the Holy Spirit. You don't see the Holy Spirit. He's inside of you. But you have relationship with him. You were born to have relationship with someone you can't see. Isn't it interesting that suddenly cell phones came into the world to try and manufacture a, some sort of fulfillment for that desire? Where now, I mean, you can go to townships in the middle of nowhere where they have nothing, but they have a cell phone. Because everyone has a longing to communicate with someone they can't see. Be very careful that that thing that can be used, I understand it can be used for good things, but be very careful that it's not stealing your time because time is the key that unlocks the realities of intimacy with God. If you are not giving God your time, you will never experience the realities of intimacy with Him. 
See, your default changes with what you give your time to. If you give your time to natural fleshly things, your default is going to be that natural fleshly realm. But if you give your time to your relationship with the Lord, He will become your default. That's how it's actually possible to live a life without sin. Okay, now let me explain that quickly. If we were not possible to live a life without sinning, why would He die? Because it wasn't just to remove sin, it was to make you something brand new. It was to ma- not just to deal with your sin, it was to make you a saint so that you don't just call yourself one, you live like one. But the way that that happens is by living in oneness with the Lord, not putting emphasis on my sin, but living in oneness with Him where the, the realities of the Spirit are my realities in my day-to-day life. I'd stop thinking about all that stuff because I'm giving Him my time and my attention and He's transforming me because I'm beholding His face. That's what it means to become like Jesus. We become like Jesus because we behold Jesus, because we look at his face. And you want to know something incredible? We had a picture. I'm going to share the picture that you got, Zoe. And we were at a home group on Wednesday night. Zoe got this picture that she was standing up right up against the eye of the Father, right there. But she said Jesus was standing in front of her, and God was looking at her through Jesus. And as she said that, I felt the Father say to me, and then guess what Jesus does? He stands there as our advocate on behalf of us, before the eye of the Father, the most intimate kind of space that you can be in. And he turns and he grabs us and he presents us before the Father. This is your beloved son, your beloved daughter in whom you are well pleased. And we get to look into his eyes and guess what? Guess what we see in his eyes? Ourselves. We look, that's the mirror of glory in 2 Corinthians chapter three at the end. We look into his eyes and we see ourselves and guess what we see? Jesus, because he's made us like him. The only reason why we're standing before him is because Jesus has made us like him. His blood has covered us. And now when I look into the eyes of the father and I see my reflection, I'm not seeing my failures and my shortcomings. I'm seeing the blood of Jesus that enables me to continue to gaze into the beautiful eyes of the father. That's what transforms me. And if I live there every single day, I'll look like him. My prayer every day, I've got it written in a part of my Bible. I'm saying, Lord, would you bring me so close to your heart that I begin to feel like you, think like you, that I begin to become like you? Would you bring me so close to your face that I begin to look like you? If I'm thinking like him, feeling like him, and I look like him, what a life in God. And I promise you, when people begin to live in that truth, that's when unbelievers in the world look at us and go, oh my goodness, who are those belonging to the way? Who are those who turn the world upside down? Because that's how they described Paul. So now, what's exciting for every single one of you is that this is yours. God has given this to you. He wants you to live in the realities of this. And you have a choice that no one else can make for you. And I don't understand why you wouldn't say yes to this because this is the best news ever. The gospel's good news. It makes me want to explode with joy. I just One day, you're going to see me dance here the way I dance in my bedroom. I'm getting free. I'm getting free. When we realize that it's all Jesus, there is such joy that cannot be taken from us because we've been made one with God. And today, that's what the Lord wants to speak to you about. He wants you to take a drink of those living waters. He wants, like in Hebrews 10, he wants you to feel the pure water wash over you. He wants to sprinkle your conscience clean with the blood of Jesus. He wants you to come boldly before the Father, to live in that oneness, to begin to see with a new perspective, wash the mud off your eyes at the pool of Siloam. Let him cleanse your perspective so that you can actually do everything that God's called you to do. Can you stand? I know I've kept you a little bit longer than normal. I'm sorry. But this isn't a meeting, apparently, so we're a family. (laughs) Is there anyone here that, I know all of you here want this, but I feel like there's some people here that this was like, this was like branding their heart. It was like, God, I was born for this. Is there anyone here that's feeling that kind of intensity of the Holy Spirit? I believe in responses. Would you, would you respond even if you just come out of your aisle or you can come to the front? But if you're feeling that, I just, I want to respond to hunger. I, I want God to just 
meet you in that space. And this, you, can, you guys can take this. You can still receive. But I just believe that sometimes Holy Spirit just hits someone and it's a word that resonates. It's what you've been longing for. You can come a little bit more forward. There's a lot of space. I really love Jesus. Do you know, I just want to encourage you guys with this. Do you know that your testimony is only what you've become in God and not what you were saved from? Right now, as you're standing here, you've got to know that when he looks at you, he sees himself. That's not a cool statement to put on your fridge. That's your reality before your father. <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit is he's right here. Father, I pray that you would just open every eye to see you, Lord. To feel your presence, Jesus. I really feel like the Lord is washing our eyes with the living waters of Siloam, the gushing forth, the, the waters of the Holy Spirit. And if you will allow him this morning, he's going to change your perspective, and it's a supernatural thing. So Jesus, you're right here, Lord. You're standing right here, God. And you're the way, and you're the truth. And you're the life. And you're the way to the Father. And you are changing every thought, every emotion, every desire. You are changing every reason to live this morning. <laughs> I can just feel the love of God. Just let him love you.